We all know that Easter is the day that we celebrate Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And it is a celebration. It's a time of joy. And on Good Friday, I explained that before we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we have to understand why he had to die. It was because our sins deserve death. And so on Good Friday, we saw that we must mourn over our sins since they caused the Son of God to be crucified. But if we insist on holding on to our sin and celebrating that, then we will pay the penalty ourselves. Whereas today, we see that Jesus Christ not only died to pay the penalty, but was raised. And so we're going to focus on the two natural responses that Jesus being raised from the dead would produce. Fear and joy. And hopefully, we won't be left in a, in a slump in between, not really feeling anything. We ought to feel something. Miracles are, are amazing. They ought to make us, they ought to make us feel something. Um, if you look back in the Old Testament, you see some of the miraculous signs that God performed through his prophets, through Moses. You think of the sea parting before the Israelites. And it's hard for us to even enter into that the closest we can come to, enter into entering into that is movies. Movies have a, a unique power to uh, affect us and to make us feel certain things. Um, and really, if you think about it, movies are pretty miraculous in that regard. <laughs> it's pretty amazing what they, what they can do to us, but often we, we miss that. Well, here we have the most amazing miracle that's ever happened. Jesus Christ, who was dead, being raised up again. We ought to respond either with fear or with joy. But before we can understand those responses, we need to look at the resurrection itself and understand what was really going on. So we read from Matthew 27 and 28. I want to reread parts of that, <clears throat> starting in Matthew 27, verse 62. We pick up the story when Jesus is already dead and buried. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. <clears throat> Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. 
If there's ever an ironic statement, can you imagine securing a grave against the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Make it as secure as you know how. Here, here's a nuclear warhead. <laughs> do, what, do your best. You have a guard. Make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. You get a taste for the power of angels through this, don't you? I mean, here's these guards, and what does it say? Uh, the, well, let me keep reading. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. This, this angel has no concern about a stone. This angel has no concern about a seal being set on the stone. This angel has no concern about a bunch of guards. He just comes and rolls the stone away and sits on it. He is in complete control of the situation, isn't he? And of course, the guards are absolutely terrified, so terrified that they became as dead men. They did not just shake in their boots. They literally fell over in their fear. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Are you going to question that angel? Behold, I have told you. You will see him there. I'm telling you. You don't question that angel, do you? And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. What an amazing story. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. The religious leaders... They're scared, aren't they? They're still scared of what Jesus could accomplish, even though he's already dead. Now you could say, no, they were scared of they were scared of what his disciples might do. But the reality is that Jesus had had shaken them to the core. They were scared 
of what his disciples could accomplish because they had seen what Jesus had accomplished already and what he had accomplished through his disciples already. And we begin to see here the extent to which they did understand what Jesus was saying. <clears throat> even better, you could, you could say, they understood it even better than the apostles understood it, didn't they? We remember that he said that he was going to rise again from the dead. And the disciples were like, they had to keep being told that and told that and told that. In private by Jesus, they're being told that. He's saying, I mean, and then while the, while the religious leaders are like, <clears throat> let's make sure he stays dead. The apostles are all hiding and scared and sad. But really, they didn't, these religious leaders didn't believe that Jesus would rise again, did they? They thought that they had beat him. They thought that they had controlled the situation, as it were. And that they could maintain control of the situation. And so they asked for a guard to be placed in front of the tomb where he was buried. And then that lovely statement by Pilate, make it as secure as you know how. So they put a great big rock in front of it, they seal it up, they leave soldiers there to guard it. This is kind of like building an airport security terminal around a bomb. You you have to start with a place that you're in control of in order to make it secure, right? You can't, have, you can't have a secure area where you've got a bomb in the center of it. Jesus is in the tomb. How secure can they make it? Not at all. It doesn't matter how many layers of security you have. The problem is on the inside. The problem isn't the disciples coming The problem isn't even the angel, which undid all of their security precautions, right? The problem is Jesus Christ himself is in there. And when he said that he was going to rise again from the dead, he meant it. And there's nothing that they can do to stop that. As scary as the angel is, the angel doesn't even begin to compare to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Revelation 1, 17 and 18. When I saw him, this is John, speaking of speaking of Jesus Christ, speaking of the Lamb, right? Remember how close Jesus and John were? Remember that John reclined on his breast during the Last Supper, the one who who Jesus loved, right? 
Here's John describing when he sees Jesus again. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold... I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is our king. This is the king that we follow. And you can't help but be afraid of a king that is that powerful. You must be afraid of a king that is that powerful. And yet, there's two kinds of fear, aren't there? There is the fear of the religious leaders, and then there's the fear of Mary. The one fear leads to attempting to control the the king of glory and to make sure that he can't be glorified through his resurrection through his defeat of death. The other kind of fear leads Mary and the other women who are with her to fall at his feet and to worship him with great joy. So should we respond like the Pharisees? Should we respond like the soldiers? No, we should not have that kind of fear. That's the fear that comes when you realize your enemy has conquered you, even though you thought you had won. You thought you had won. But it was checkmate. And you didn't know it. That's the kind of fear that comes when you realize you killed him and now he's back. And there's a reason that when Peter preaches the sermon on the day of Pentecost, right, that he preaches and he says, you killed him. And he's back. And then they respond with fear, right? but they don't respond with the fear of the the soldiers and the religious leaders. The soldiers and the religious leaders, they say, we killed him, and he's back. Let's pretend like it never happened. Let's lie about it. Whereas, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter preaches, they say, We killed him, and he's back. What must we do to be saved? And the answer is, fall on your face like Mary and worship him, because he's merciful. Fall on your face and worship him, and he will save you. And then, rejoice. Have great joy. He is immortal.
and he will return to judge the living and the dead. He's all-powerful. We do not have all-powerful as a concept in any of our entertainment. We, we don't have it because it's not entertaining. All-powerful is boring. Almost all-powerful is entertaining because there's a weakness, right? And then you can have a question of what's going to happen and who's going to win. All-powerful? There's no... There's nothing left to argue about. There's no question about what's going to happen. What he says goes. And so, in entertainment, it's boring. But in real life, it's the best thing that you could possibly hear, and it's what we celebrate today. Because we are not all-powerful. We still face the reality of this fallen world, we still have our own sins waging war within us. We still have the prospect of death, the loss of loved ones, all of these things that bring us great pain. And so then, when we realize that our king, the one that we worship and follow, is all-powerful, and not only that he is all-powerful, but that he has promised that he will put an end to all of his enemies, and that his enemies are our enemies. What a beautiful thing. How can you help but worship at that point? How can you help but have joy? Mary Magdalene, who believed Jesus and followed him, also had fear, didn't she? And the angel says, don't be afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. And John says, perfect love casts out fear. And then he writes Revelation and he falls on his face as a dead man, right? So there's something, there's something There's something fearful. There's something awesome about Jesus Christ rising from the dead, victorious over death and hell. That sort of fear comes with great, great joy. And it's taken away. The fear is taken away because he says, do not be afraid. You've got all of these enemies. You're fighting against them on a daily basis. They're, some of the, your worst enemies are inside yourself. And then, Jesus shows up. 
And now all of a sudden, your biggest worry isn't all those other enemies. Your biggest, en- your biggest worry is, ah, it's Jesus. And you fall down. You worship. And he says, don't be afraid. And when he says, don't be afraid, what's he saying, don't be afraid of? Why were they afraid? Why was, why was Isaiah afraid in the Old Testament? Why did, why did people, when they saw the angel of the Lord, say, Woe is me, for I am undone? Why did they say, Now we're going to die, because we've seen the Holy One of Israel. We've seen the Lord. We've seen Yahweh. Now we die. Why did they have that kind of fear? Because they knew that they were, as Isaiah says, a man of unclean lips, a living among a people of unclean lips, right? And so when, when God says to us, do not fear, He is saying, do not fear me, in a sense, But the reason that he's saying not to fear him is because he has taken our sins away. And so he's saying, do not fear your enemies. I have defeated them. Do not fear what I will do to you because of your sin, because I already did it to Jesus. And so Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, do not be afraid. And then we have great joy. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, we read about the joy and worship that comes. The author says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so what are we rejoicing on Easter? What are, what are we... Why are we... Why are we celebrating? Yes, it's that Jesus rose again. But what we're also celebrating, what we also rejoice about, is the fact that he endured our hostility. That he ignored, despised, didn't care about the shame. That he died on the cross to pay for our sins and then proved that they were paid for by rising again. Otherwise, his resurrection cannot be anything to us except for the deadly kind of fear that the soldiers and the religious leaders had. We can't celebrate Easter unless it is the source of our hope. 
Otherwise, it is something to fear, to deny, to run from, to ignore, to claim was all made up, to get very desperate about. But ultimately, that's all fear. And it's not good and holy fear. I was speaking with a man yesterday who had that kind of desperate sort of rejection. Any kind of, any kind of excuse that he could come up with to say that the Bible wasn't true and that he didn't need to worry, he was bringing it up all in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Well, the, I mean, everything from the, from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the 13 books of the Bible, you know, he's, you know, he's read Tom or, or Dan Brown, or is that the guy, right? You know, I'm sure that's, he, he, he's read all, anything he can get his hands on to assure himself that he doesn't have anything to worry about. That Jesus, the King of glory, is not going to come back that there's not going to be a judgment. That he won't have to face that day of wrath. But what is he? He's afraid. He was afraid. And you could tell. There's a desperateness to the enemies of Jesus Christ. And it comes because even though sometimes we forget, even though the apostles had totally lost track of the big picture, they had forgotten and not believed that Jesus was actually coming back. The religious leaders had not forgotten what Jesus had said. And they had understood perfectly. He said he was going to rise again after three days. If there's anything... Worse than Jesus being alive on the earth, it's Jesus being alive on the earth again after we killed him. And so we ought to learn from them. We ought to learn from them. Not that we would fear like them, but that what they fear... That's what we have. Who they fear. He is our king. He's alive forevermore. Let's pray.